All right, so Pentecost. How many of you are bilingual? A couple. A couple, yeah. So, so there's not many of us who can speak multiple languages. It's really unless you grew up into another language, you know, you spoke a different language at home, a different culture, unless you were immersed into another language, most of us tend to struggle learning with learning new languages. So I took three years of German in high school and a couple more years in college, and I can still barely form a sentence. It's been a while since that time. We invested not so long ago in Rosetta Stone to learn Spanish. Well, Mark knows Spanish somewhat, so it was to, to help improve his and me to learn mine, and I never really had time to spend on it, so I still only know a handful of words. Um, I found YouTube videos with lessons to learn sign language, and I was pretty excited about that, but then I never seemed to have time for those either. Unless we are forced into it, we tend to make ourselves comfortable with what we've got. I'm reminded, I've seen a story on Facebook about a little girl who was born deaf, and her whole neighborhood learned sign language so that they could speak with her when they saw her. How cool is that? They chose that. They weren't forced into that, but they chose that because she was forced into learning sign language. Now, we're quite lucky, being unilingual as we are, because much of the world has learned to speak English. As much of the world is multilingual. Much of the world has had to accommodate us, because you know, if you're gonna do business with America, you're gonna need to learn to speak the language. Because if you can't communicate, you can't negotiate. If you can't communicate, you can't connect. If you can't communicate, you'll get left out, left behind. Communication is the key to communion. I'll let you think on that for a second. Communication is the key to communion. But it can also be the key to war, to control, to divisiveness. For the first five years of her life, my mom spoke only German. German was the language of the house, the language of the family. Because my great-grandparents were Volga Germans. They had immigrated from Russia. And before that, they had immigrated to Russia from Germany. So they came to America when life became frightening and unbearable in Russia. They held on to their culture and their language and their food and their ways. They established themselves, homesteaded in a community pretty much made up of Volga Germans. Until at least the Great War, if not World War II. Because like many European cultures and families, that was the point at which they felt that they had to identify themselves in taking sides. Unless it had already happened again in, great, in the Great War. Either way, they chose to identify themselves as either American or the enemy. They wanted to prove to the world that they were just as patriotic as those who had been here since the Mayflower. English replaced native languages in the homes and the churches and the schools. The flag was placed up front near the cross, and cultural nuances were all but lost in an effort to show support, 
to band together, to be one as a country, as a community, against the evil that was happening across the seas. But oneness isn't always a good thing. As Native American cultures were conquered, the people didn't choose to abandon language and culture. They were forced to. They were forced to dress like the Europeans and speak like the Europeans, to cook and eat and live like the Europeans. And those who defied the cultural movement, when they spoke their language in whispers around the table, in bed, they were the ones who contributed so much during World War II. We call them wind talkers. Have you heard of wind talkers? They used their native language to transmit messages because it was not a language that the enemy knew. The enemy couldn't crack it. So Reverend Luke Powery says this. He says, we should not erase our names, our languages, our cultures, our skin color, our hair texture, the color of our eyes, the shape of our bodies, our identities. We should not obliterate whom and what God has created in order to suit our needs, our comforts, our opinions. God made all of us with our own native tongue. And when we are tempted to erase that which is different, it is an affront to God and God's collective body. Pentecost reveals that the church is not made in our image, but in the mosaic image of God. Pentecost shows us that the beauty of God is fully revealed in the collective face of others. And the beauty of God is distorted or tainted when particular cultures and languages are muted because they are different or have never been heard or experienced. The image of God at Pentecost is multilingual, multicultural, and multi-ethnic. Not for a politically correct agenda, but because the gospel demands it. The gospel is poly. More polyphonic. Isn't that beautiful? Language can be the source of hope for a culture on the brink of extinction. And it can be the source of fear for those who don't know it. So, so imagine that day of Pentecost, the Jewish celebration of the spring harvest, and the disciples seem to be hanging out together, praying and talking, because that's what Jesus told them to do. And in what seemed like a tornado came rushing in because, you know, the spirit knows how to make an entrance. And the disciples should have been wearing crash helmets. But out of their mouths sprung this well of words that they didn't understand. And they could not stop from speaking it. And they probably couldn't understand each other. And confusion and fear and excitement were all filling this little group of people. And and if you think about it, the house must have been someplace central, and there must have been open windows, because there were people milling around the outside, and they heard this noise, the cacophony of language spilling out of the place. And these people, people from different lands and cultures who had come back to Jerusalem to make their harvest sacrifice, they heard the accents of home in a place they rarely visited, among people they only vaguely understood, they tasted their grandmother's sweet cakes and the syllables that touched their ears. And they heard their children playing games in the backyard through the dialects that flowed from the house. They heard home. They heard hope and promise 
They heard their history as well as their future. They heard the gospel for the first time in their own language. Can you imagine what that would have been like? First being in a land that is not home, surrounded by words and a sound unfamiliar and unsettling, and then hearing your language, your dialect, coming from someplace just beyond. And then the words that the disciples were saying, telling about the Messiah, about the kingdom of God, about hope finding its way to us. Never having heard such good news, this would be astounding. And like good Lutherans, they asked the big question, what does this mean? (laughs) But some didn't believe it. They thought that these were just a bunch of drunk men babbling away. And I want you to notice something here in the text. When Peter addresses that those that don't believe, it says that he speaks directly to the men of Judea and those who live in Jerusalem. And by that I gather that those who didn't believe were the insiders. The ones who had heard this nonsense before. The ones who speak the language of Jerusalem and simply become comfortable in their place, in their status. And they don't recognize the miracle because it wasn't speaking in a different language directly to them. They don't recognize the spirit because nothing has changed for them. They don't hear the gospel because they only speak their own language, the language of insiders. They are not displaced. They're not in a different culture. They're not out of sync. They're the norm. And so Peter has to speak directly to them and remind them of the words of the ancestor Joel. God will pour out God's spirit upon all flesh, both men and women, slaves and free. Sons and daughters will prophesy. The young will see visions. The old will dream dreams. No longer will the promise of God be only for the insiders, for the ones familiar with the language, for the ones who look the part, who say the words, who can say the prayers in their sleep. No longer will hope be spoken for only the well-dressed, churchy people to hear, for the ones who have their pews and don't want anyone to sit in them, for the ones who put in their time. For those who deem themselves worthy, even when they feel like they're not. The Spirit has been unleashed. New people, new languages, new cultures, new ideas are being welcomed into God's church. Oh, that's scary. (laughs) And it's noisy. And it's messy. And it means being willing to proclaim God's message in a way that someone different than me can hear. It means learning a new language. Meeting people where they are rather than expecting them to come to us to to walk in those doors and learn our ways and our songs and our prayers just the way we like them. It means perhaps listening to the stories of someone else. Now, I noticed this year, as I read this story for the umpteenth time, that I tend to identify most readily with the disciples. The idea of proclaiming the good news in new languages, the experience of being filled by the Spirit so that others can understand what I'm saying because I'm always the one doing the talking. But (laughs) what if, 
What if I identify myself with the traveler, with the outsider? What does that feel like? The vulnerability of being unknown, of being feared, of being scared, and hearing someone speak a word of hope in my language, in a way I can understand. How amazing that would feel. This is what God is doing with all of us. Speaking to our hearts through the broken languages of those around us. But not stopping there. Molding our words and our actions to meet people who are beyond this house. Who are on the outside. Who aren't like us. Whatever that may mean to you. And God is moving us not only to speak new languages, but to understand new languages. To be vulnerable, to make mistakes, to be open to the Spirit's cacophony and welcome it as we welcome people unlike any we've ever known. So in honor of this Spirit, our hymn of the day is going to both begin and end with its original language. The language is a Shona language from Zimbabwe, and we'll sing the original. Because as Debbie Thomas points out, something happens when we speak each other's languages. Be they cultural, political, racial, or liturgical languages, we experience the limits of our own perspectives. We learn curiosity, and we discover that God's great deeds are far too nuanced for a single tongue or a single fluency. Amen.